Hello and welcome to Euphoria, the podcast all about the great glam and garish from Eurovision past. My name is Roland Bodnam and as ever, I am joined by a woman for whom it's never too late for love, unless she's feeling tired, it's <laughs> Isabel Chillman. <laughs> that Isabel. might be the best one yet. Hi, Roland. How's it going? It is going well. I've been indoors for seven days. I've stepped outside twice, and that was quite nice. Um, But um, yes, we are doing our duty by remaining inside, aren't we, Isabel? Hell yeah, I am same. I left the house yesterday for a short walk around the block Mm. um, and kept a very good distance from anyone nearby me. Um, And I sat out on my little stoop today in the sunshine for a little bit. Excellent. Um, But apart from that, I am living the quarantine life Mm. and making the most of it. Yeah, I I stayed indoors from Sunday at about 3pm until Thursday morning when I went grocery shopping. And I was trying to think whether there'd been a time in my life where I had been indoors for that amount of time before I'm sure like when I was a grotty student or like sometime over the summer there must have been a time where I'd I'd refused to step outside and just stayed indoors and played video games but I couldn't remember one quite like that um I definitely have spent this long indoors before when I've been depressed so okay yeah well there you go (laughs) just being real about mental health I've definitely gone through this before so I'm coping quite well yeah uh, (laughs) I know the do's and don'ts of having to stay inside for this long uh, uh, um, in one one period to ensure that I don't become depressed yeah Um, so actually it's good it's quite I'm doing lots of cleaning done some cooking I've got some puzzles haven't started them yet but I'm looking forward to them Sounds lovely. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of um, coping strategies, do you do you have anything that you're drinking this this afternoon? I do. It's not afternoon oh. for me. It's evening now. No. Technically, I have half a bottle of Chilean Merlot. Ooh, lovely. And I have. I've I've been drinking quite a lot of wine recently, so I'm not going to do wine. But I have a lovely bottle of English Damson gin liqueur. Oh my god! Feeling like a fancy boy. Jealous of (laughs) that. Is that the sort of gin that you can just drink neat? Because it's really nice. It does. Yeah, it does say enjoy sipped straight over ice. But I'm going to add it with tonic Mm. just to have a little bit of refreshingness. Mm. Oh, you go. Cork. Go on. Cork. We'll have a listen. You ready? Hang on. Oh. Oh, a nice Lovely little pop. quiet one. Yeah, I'm going to do a pour as well. Oh, now that's a good bottle oh, for I'm that. Go on. Ooh. Nice. Just a dainty pour for me. That little dainty pour. There goes the tonic. Oh. <laughs> It's just an ASMR podcast, this bit of it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Lovely stuff. Oh, that looks good. Mmm, very refreshing. Cheers, mate. Look, I'm going to chin two glasses together. Cheers. Oh, cheers. <laughs> oh, lovely. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Oh, that red wine has been sat around for a little bit. Okay, That's slightly okay. vinegary. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Um, okay, Isabel, shall we do some... Eurovision news. So I did do that caveat at the start of last week's episode um, because we recorded it. And who knows what's going to happen between now and when this goes out in about four days. But um, we recorded last week's episode before the sad, sad news that Eurovision 
this year is fully cancelled uh, as a show um, but we sort of that's been talked about quite a lot have you got any updates for us around that subject Isabel? So as we all know very sadly for the first time in 64 years Eurovision is completely cancelled for 2020 which mm. is devastating obviously not just for the fans for all of us but for all of the artists that have been chosen to perform for this year's contest and um, the uh, news from the EBU so far is that they are currently working on programming to take the place of what would have been Eurovision. So they're not going to run Eurovision. They're not going to do it remotely, as was discussed, you know, online by people. Potentially they could do it digitally because they wanted to give all of the performers their chance to perform properly in the contest. Um, there will be some sort of programming that will replace that. So they're working with the host, na- with all of the um nations involved in the ebu to work out what that's going to look like but as far as i'm aware they haven't announced what that is yet um they have also said that they are happy for all participating entries entrants should i say all of the singers to perform in next year's competition if their chosen countries um want to allow them to that is absolutely fine however as we all know from the rules of the Eurovision Song Contest, that doesn't mean that the songs can stay the same because the rules strictly say that a song cannot be released before, is it the 1st of September? September, yeah. September some it's point, sep- yeah. September sometime. Um, a song cannot be heard and in, 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 be out in the public before September, the year before Eurovision, which means that any of the songs that were meant to be in 2020 will have been out in the public domain for far too long which means that all of the songs are going to change. <laughs> I know. And there were some really good ones. Obviously, Daddy, Freya, like one of our favourites. I, I have faith that he, you know, he's written many a good song in his time. I've oh, had yeah. faith that, that he will be able to do it again. Um, it's just, that is a bit heartbreaking, for, especially is. for Iceland, because already everyone was so sure that this was going to be Iceland's year to win. And it was such a banger. It's such a great track. So yeah. it's devastating that he won't be able to compete with it. But I still prefer um, his previous non-Eurovision entry. So if he can really, you know, if he's, we know, as you said, we know that he's got, he's got plenty of um, musical tricks up his sleeve. I'm sure that he can come forward with something else next year. But good news for the UK <laughs> means we can do a better song. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure, like, even if, I, and I don't know, by there, there have been lots of countries who have made it very clear that they want their entrance to return. The UK is not one of those yet. <laughs> Um, so they sent out a nice message on Instagram saying we thank James for all of his efforts that he's put in this year, but made no commitments to have him back. So we'll see. Maybe having an extra 12 months or so to to think about what he's done and try again might, might put him in place. You've got 12 months to think about what you've done, UK. Um, but we will see. I mean, you know, for everything that we said about it being a, the, you know, the benefit of it being a at least reasonably well-known mainstream artist, um, you know, I hope that that trend continues and we don't have a lost year and then go back to the years of Electro Velvet. I think, as we said, that would have been the, 
the main benefit dark of times having, for everyone yeah, yeah they can't do that to us coming after we've all come out of coronavirus on the other side of it we can't go back to electric velvet <laughs> times guys come on we need something that, to look yes. forward to at the end yeah, of this absolutely um so uh i guess that's kind of the news for now it might have been by the time this episode goes out that it uh, they've announced what they're going to do it sounds like a lovely program where they'll celebrate all the artists and the songs and um, something along those lines but um, we appreciate that they are trying to do something and obviously it's very difficult to figure anything out right now with uh, such uncertainty going into the future um, mm-hmm. so you know what we forgot to do last week which I'm going to do this week oh what did we forget to do any other business oh we got some any other business <laughs> any other business mm. yeah i've got a few bits of any other business actually oh really uh, yeah so to start off with um correction from okay. last week's episode okay. Okay. to start off with so not that he nor anyone else even connected to the story will even be listening to this podcast but my story last week about the cinema and my first boyfriend <laughs> matthew yes the the dual hand holding the dual hand holding yeah. with matthew and liam yeah uh I would say it took me a good three or four days after we recorded that to realise his name is not Matthew. <laughs> My first ever boyfriend's name was not Matthew. That was his oh brother. No. He was called Ashley. Oh, okay, so Ashley. That's, well, um, that was a... says a lot about how much it means. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but what it was is that I, could, I forgot both of their names recently. For some reason, I was talking that we were talking about people from Halifax, uh, me and my friend Lucy were, and I couldn't remember either of their names and she did, but I think that's maybe got, I've got the brother's name stuck in my head wrong Okay, now. Oh, yeah, I see. Sorry I see. about that, Ashley, if you Sorry, are listening. Ashley. You meant a lot to me at the time. <laughs> <laughs> you made it to a podcast, second- that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> second bit of any other business. Okay. Um, I unfortunately missed it yesterday. So yesterday being Saturday, the 21st of March. Mm. But for any Eurovision fans out there, search for Eurovision again on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Because it is... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I catch it next Saturday. So um, a chap called Rob Holly, who's well known in the Eurovision circuit, has started a, a movement called Eurovision again, which is a screening of a, of a historical Eurovision con- song contest with um, whole audiences watching live, live tweeting, joining in. Uh, and it looked like an absolute hoot. And I'm really gutted I missed yesterday's one. I didn't see okay. it until afterwards on Twitter. So I'm 100% going to join in on Saturday uh, coming. And I would recommend that everyone do the same because it's a nice way to get involved in Eurovision whilst it's not on. Sadly. Sounds right up our alley. Does indeed. <laughs> and thirdly. Wow. Lots of any other business. Lots of any other business. Do you remember last year, Roland, when our lovely fan Taylor um, did what I <laughs> very uh, rudely asked one of our listeners to do, which was make a spreadsheet of all of our, <laughs> all of our yeah, episodes? I think, I think the sort of our popularity was getting to your head at that point, wasn't it? I think we'd had a run of like some quite good stuff happening and you started making these demands uh, of our audience. Yeah. <laughs> But my demands were met. Taylor yeah. did it. Taylor, yeah. in the space of about 24 hours, made this amazing shared um, Google Doc for us that had on all of our episodes, the titles, the stories, the songs that were in them. 
Um, and I needed that mm. when writing this week's story because I wanted to double check. When I had an idea to start off with and I thought, God, it seems really familiar. God, have we done that story before? Oh, I know. I'll have a look at the spreadsheet. Looked at it. Last updated three days ago. <gasps> Taylor's still updating it. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Taylor. Taylor. episodes. You hear Taylor, you absolute oh legend. Yeah, newest episodes up there now. Very helpful. Really happy about this, Taylor. You're a little legend. <laughs> Just quietly plugging away there without any uh, any knowledge from us at all. No fanfare. No no oh asking for God. any sort of um, credit or anything. Please or thank you from us. No. no, none whatsoever. So Taylor, you're an absolute legend, mate. Oh Cheers yeah. For that. Thank you so much. And, and a few of you have also been uh, tweeting uh, about uh, about us, which we always like to see. Um, so if you do want to get in touch with us, Taylor, give us an email. I mean, you could have told us that you were still doing it and we would have <laughs> given you more shouts, shout outs. But if you do want to um, get in touch with us, you absolutely can. Uh, you can reach us on email at europhoriapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can tweet us at europhoriacast. Thank you very much. All right, are we, is it story time? It is a story time and it's my week this week. Um, so what I I was trying to work out what story to tell. I had a few previous ones written down that I was looking into and nothing was giving me inspiration. So I thought, right, I'm going to do what Roland said he does, which is just clicking <laughs> on every entry. <laughs> in, We've got time uh, now. <laughs> Oh, I've got loads of time to do this. Yeah, it's great. So I went into the 1985 contest on Wikipedia and just clicked on every entry until I found something yeah. interesting. And it worked. Oh, Good okay. Method. Good <laughs> method indeed. Yeah. So this this week's story, I will, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll preempt it by saying this is not, um, it's Eurovision adjacent. It's connected. In fact, it's not just adjacent. It is connected um, lightly. There's light connections. I think I think the low bar that I set at, at a time when it wasn't uh, <laughs> acceptable to be uh, set was the uh, Sammy uh, yeah, the tribe, tribe one. Uh, one. So I think, you know, if you're around that bar, especially in times of a global <laughs> pandemic, then I think we're okay. So, so yeah, that's that's fine. It's acceptable. Well, there's a there's a couple of Eurovision connections, and I think actually, in terms of what we're talking about with the podcast and and the interesting stories that there are, there are so many people connected to Eurovision and so many stories connected to Eurovision that it doesn't really necessarily have to be something <laughs> they that won Eurovision. The contest. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, absolutely not. It's fine. No, there's, there's loads of other stuff going on that we can talk about. So for today's episode, we're going to learn about Claude Francois, a.k.a. Clo-Clo. Clo-Clo. Okay, Clo-Clo. Clo-Clo. So sources for this episode are um, a 2008 independent article titled The Mystery of Clo Clo, a website called theartsdesk.com, which was very helpful, and of course, Wikipedia. We love Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia. We love Wikipedia. So I shall begin. Claude Antoine Marie Francois was born on the 1st of February 1939 in the Egyptian city of Ismailia. Encouraged by his mother to take an interest in music, in his teens, Claude began performing as both a percussionist and singer at hotels along the French Riviera. Riviera. Along the French Riviera. Riviera. 
Riviera. <laughs> Riviera. Following the family's expulsion from Egypt as a result of the 1956 Suez Crisis. I mean, it sounds glamorous. I don't know much about okay. the Suez Crisis, but there was a canal involved, right? Oh, it was real bad. It was a bad. Suez Canal. It was bad. Okay. Let's not joke about that. The canal, yeah, the canal still exists. The Suez Crisis was very bad. Yeah. Oh, dear. The French Riviera, on the other hand. The French Riviera. Bloody lovely <laughs> in the Riviera, isn't it? <laughs> Charming down there. Yeah. Whilst working at a club in 1959, a young Claude met Janet Woolacott, a British-born French dancer, and they fell in love. The penniless couple married in Monte Carlo the next year, with Claude spending all their savings on his own glittering wedding suit, leaving nothing for the bride. <laughs> wow, Isabel, mm. that's uh, okay, interesting. Mm. I mean, mm. you know, you gotta you gotta look out for number one, right? <laughs> Oh, well, you know, he's, he said it was justified because as a future pop star, he could wear that suit on stage, whereas Janet couldn't wear a dre- wedding dress while dancing. Well, that's been that's been proven wrong from our friends, uh, the, the Sunset Project from wherever they are. Their song, Hey Mama. Do you remember with the bouquet of flower <laughs> microphones and all that? Sunstroke Project. She, sunstroke Project. She could have worn that wedding dress then. She could have done. Different times. Different proven, times. Proven, Proven completely wrong. wrong, but back in <laughs> 1959, this was not the way. It was groundbreaking at no. the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, Claude. Um, you can start to get the measure of 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 who Claude was as a man um, just by that alone. I think Claude Francois and his bride moved to Paris to pursue his music career, and he gained the nickname Clo Clo, which stayed with him throughout his life. That's cute, isn't it? Clo Clo. Clo Clo. Yeah, Clo. it's kind of cute. Yeah. Clo Clo, so cute. <laughs> Are you being sarcastic there or <laughs> kind of? No, no. Um, no, no. Oh, you're not. No. Okay. See, I'm still, I'm, this one of those early ones where I'm still trying to work out your stance on the man uh, <laughs> because I, uh, yeah, I'm still trying to work it out. So I'm going to, I'm staying neutral as, as we progress and then I'll work out what side I'm okay. on uh, as we go. Okay. Okay, that's good, because um, maybe the next (laughs) sentence will help sway you. Um, Claude would lock Janet in their small Parisian flat to prevent her from meeting other men. Okay, yeah, so pretty bad. (laughs) Pretty much an (laughs) arsehole. Yeah, pretty much uh, an arsehole. Yeah, definitely. I was going to say, he strikes me as the sort of person who gave himself the nickname Clo-Clo and made everyone call him that rather than his mates call him that nickname. Yeah, no, you are actually right. He was called Coco when he was a percussionist and then it got changed to Clo-Clo for some reason. I think because he was named Claude. Yeah, yeah, probably. So there you go. So, okay, um, cool. I was, I was about mm, to say that mm. this, is, this is the nice escapism that uh, wasn't in my last story, but apparently yeah. we've, bo- we've both gone for the, <laughs> the dark side uh, to, reflect, to reflect the mood, perhaps. It's not um, as doom and gloom as a four-month kidnapping no okay. but it doesn't end happily <laughs> okay so i'll just enjoy the bit about the french riviera and then we'll yeah we'll we'll enjoy that bit <laughs> okay um Unsurprisingly, Janet left her husband in 1962, only weeks before he became a major star with a French cover version of the Everly Brothers song Made to Love, named Belle, Belle, Belle. 
So she got out. Claude Francois's career continued to blossom. And the following year, he released another successful French adaptation of an American song with his own rendition of If I Had a Hammer. <laughs> wow. Also covered by Handy Andy from, uh, what's that? Uh, what show was he on? Changing Rooms. Changing if Rooms. If I had a hammer. <laughs> I have him in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I've seen, there's a, there is a video. I'll send you the link to the video so you can watch it afterwards, Roland, of um, the French version. It sounds lovely, um, but when you know that it's the lyrics are, if I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the morning. It's not as romantic then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, I don't think anyone will compete with Handy Andy's version, really. And when we look back <laughs> in the annals of history. When history looks back on every rendition of If I Had a Hammer. Well, say so nothing competes with Handy Andy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, you know what one of my puzzles was that I've got? Not, not changing room, but changing room adjacent. Go on. God, God, ground uh, force. Ground force. Was it a ground force puzzle? Oh, mate, only you would Ground have. force puzzle. You are, like, that's, I think, uh, one, of the, one of the, I don't know, it just exemplifies one of the reasons why I love you so much is that you are probably <laughs> one of the only people I know who would have a ground force puzzle and re- and then tell people about it. <laughs> oh, proudly tell people. Uh, proudly, proudly, absolutely, yeah. In fact... In fact, I might be one of the only people you know who would have a ground force puzzle, but I'm probably the only person you know who has two ground force puzzles. <laughs> yes. Wow. I feel like Alan Titchmarsh should get, get uh, you should tweet at him. He'd probably like that. Retweet it. Is he okay? Is he? What's his situation? Oh, I don't we okay know. with Alan Titchmarsh? I think he's a conservative, but other than that. Is he, is he alive? I think he's, a, I think he's all right. Is he? Mm. Whatever happened to Charlie Dimmock? Feminist icon there, never wore a bra. I know, yeah. Alan Titchmarsh gets his own talk show. She gets nothing. Shows you how it is, isn't it? Patriarchy. I bet she's still doing gardens. Oh, I'm sure she's very happy. She seemed more comfortable among a bed of roses than she did under a studio lights, didn't she? Quite happy there. (laughs) That's that's going to be the opening to like, (laughs) the opening line of her obituary when she dies in hopefully another like 30 years. Yeah, a quote from Euphoria podcast. (laughs) Always happier amongst a bed of roses than under a studio light. Charlie Dimmock. Charlie Dimmock. Never wore a bra. No, never wore a bra. Good for her. Back to the story. Sorry, yeah. Claude was an artist ahead of his time. Adding glitz and glamour to his live performances with energetic dancing, special effects, and his troupe of female dancers, the Claudettes. A businessman through and through, Claude not only sang, but he ran his own record label, his own perfume company, and an erotic magazine for which he took most of the photographs. Okay. <laughs> I was kind of picturing a Peter Stringfellow type before, <laughs> before you said that even. The sort of like slick back hair, like gaudy kind of suits, that that whole thing. It's uh it seems He to looked connect. very sharp. He wasn't Oh did I, he? Okay. I didn't I don't find him an attractive man. But in nineteen sixty three he is a he's a he's a he's a star. Because when you were saying, yeah, when you were saying about him buying his own suit for the wedding, I was picturing something really garish and terrible, but um, I'm just... I think he did wear quite glitzy things on stage, but he was still very French. 
Okay, yeah, yeah. So well put together. Okay. All right. Yes. Blonde hair, though. Yeah. Thick blonde hair. Oh, it is hair. blonde hair. Interesting. Okay. Is blonde hair, yeah. Um, it was The magazine, by the way, was called Absolute, and he um, once had Bridget Bardot pose news, nude for him. Wow. In 1964, Claude began a relationship with 17-year-old singer France Gall. Mm. Okay. Mm. He's, mm. I'm glad I took mm. I took the stance that I did on him then and didn't go the other way. I mean, he was he was he was only 25 at the time, but still a man a man who owns his own record label uh entering into a uh a relationship with a 17-year-old aspiring singer. There yeah, is a power we've heard imbalance. That one before, haven't we? Yeah, and we we've have heard that story before. But... Yeah, absolutely. Gaul, however, represented Luxembourg in the 1965 edition of the Eurovision Song Contest. Interesting. When did they start their relationship? What year are we in? Current in the story in media res. <laughs> so they they started seeing each other in 1964. We're now at the 1965 contest. Oh, okay. So they were together when she was in the contest. Yeah. Wow. Okay. 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 I'm with you now. I'm in. So our first light Eurovision link. Here we oh, go. Yeah, that's a link. Yeah. He was <laughs> that's involved. a link. That's all the link yeah. that's needed. <laughs> <laughs> Gaul went on to win with the Serge Gainsbourg track "Poupi de Cire." which translates into English as Wax Doll, Rag Doll. So, Roland, we're going to have a little listen to that song now. So, in- interestingly, Isabel, on a similar sort of tone, I have been, or at least last season for a little while, was thinking about doing an episode on Serge Gainsbourg, who was the guy who wrote that yes. song, because he, I mean, he's an iconic French uh, songwriter and singer, obviously did the, one of his most famous was the Oui Je Tem, uh, song that he did with a couple of people. But it turns out he's a complete misogynistic asshole as well. And I kind of yeah. didn't feel like writing a whole story about him because it's literally like he almost has zero redeeming characteristics. So I didn't. <laughs> uh, good. Okay. Well, I'll tell you now, there's not much redeeming about Claude either. I know. I just felt uncomfortable <laughs> me doing it. So maybe I'll pass it on to you. But Okay. Yeah, I can talk shit about a misogynist <laughs> yeah. for half an hour. We'll, we'll see how much of the bottom of the barrel we're scraping if if i end up doing serge gainsbourg you know you know we're running out of things to talk about (laughs) (laughs) okay good that's good to know at the contest final in naples that year the song was booed in rehearsals for straying so far from the sort of song usually heard in the contest the audience were livid livid they hated it and it wasn't just the audience unimpressed by france france's performance when she called Claude immediately after she came off stage, he allegedly shouted at her, you sang off key, you were terrible. Oh, what an asshole. Yeah, just Dickhead. shouting at a 17 year old. Yeah, as she comes off stage for like the biggest performance of her life. 
Luckily, though, the song impressed the jury, claiming first place at the Grand Prix. So well done to France Goal. Yeah. <laughs> Their relationship lasted for a further two years, ending in 1967. Goal was later quoted as saying of Claude, he was not someone easy. No one was happy around him. Can you imagine being that person? I mean, <sighs> if you're that person, you don't realise that, but they're the worst. <laughs> there they are the worst. That's, yeah. yeah, that's, yeah, oh, that's an awful thing to have said about you. No one was happy around Well, it's just one of those people that, like, they walk into a room and everyone's like, oh, this evening's going to be shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be all about them and how unhappy or angry or... Oh, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. The, um, the independent article that I got quite a bit of information from this from, I mean, they described him in a much harsher way than I have <laughs> in any of this. Really, um, like, really went <laughs> went into him, but he was he was egotistical and um, not very kind to the people around him by by the looks of things. And I think that back then, and actually probably until very recently, he would have been described as like a troubled artist. Whereas now, oh, that whole course. kind of thing is like less uh accepted as an excuse for just general assholery. yeah oh 100 yeah he would have definitely been just like a tortured tortured mind he's so creative just let him get his creativity out in whatever way possible <laughs> even if that means shitting on everyone around him so the same year that their relationship ended claude was asked to collaborate on the song comme d'habitude for which he wrote lyrics with an underlying theme of a couple in a strained relationship in reference to his recent breakup so now i'd like to play um some of that song for you now roland we'll have a little listen je me lève et je te bouscule tu ne te réveilles pas comme d'habitude Huh. Huh. Well, that's interesting. What's, what, what's that? <laughs> yeah, what are you hunting about? Well, let's, just, let's just listen. Hang on. Well, that's not a song. That's not an entirely new song to me, Isabel. <laughs> <laughs> Is it not? What does it remind you of? I feel like it's uh, some sort of Frank Sinatra connection here going on. My way. You are correct. Canadian singer-songwriter Paul Anker reworked Comme d'habitude for an mm. English-speaking audience into what is now the most played song at funerals in the UK. Oh, Frank Sinatra hit my way. <laughs> That it wow, that is amazing. That is, and that's like, I mean, one of the most probably well known songs in the world. It's one of the most sung, I think it's one of the most sung, if not the most sung song at karaoke bars globally. What does that mean? Claude gets a writing credit. Did he write the music or the lyrics? So. He was given the song by a by the co co-writer who oh, had it okay. it had been recorded by someone else and the writer didn't right. like the version of it. So he gave it to Claude and said, Can you work on it? He tweaked it to, so he changed the lyrics. So he has co-authored the lyrics mm. um mm. and helped compose the song. 
When it was bought by Paul Anker, when he acquired it for an English-speaking audience, the lyrics completely changed. So the song, the the French version that Claude wrote is all about um, lost love, bad relationships. But whereas the, you know, as we all know, the Frank Sinatra English version is all about kind of looking back on your life and going, well, whatever happened, happened. And I was Mm. me and damn the rest (laughs) of them kind of kind of vibe. So they are very different songs lyrically, but obviously the tune is the same. I'm not sure in terms of um, monies. Yeah, what that, what that meant. But Can you imagine that? basically, he helped. Um, yeah, he helped create my way. That's yeah, that's quite something. That's something to put your name by at least. It is indeed. Another interesting one that I read um, when I was doing the research for this is that David Bowie said that in 1968, the year before Paul Anker. Uh, acquired Took the song it. to turn yeah. it into the into my way. He was asked, Bowie. This is was asked to write English lyrics for Com Dabitude, but Whoa. that his version, titled "Even a Fool Learns to Love," was rejected. <gasps> and the unfinished work would later inspire his 1971 song "Life on Mars." Fucking hell! So that song not only inspired, well, more than inspired my way, but basically wrote my way the music to. Also inspired, which one did you say it was? Life on Mars. Life on Mars. Wow, that is two massive, massive songs that wouldn't necessarily have been created without uh, without Comabitude. So Claude might be a prick, but (laughs) some good (laughs) came out of it all. Again, I mean, we could go we could go into a very deep conversation about do you separate the artist from the art? Oh yeah, uh, all that stuff. But um, I mean, you you can't take away those two very very influential songs. So that same year um, that Comme d'habitude became a, became a massive hit, Claude began a relationship with model Isabelle Faure. By this point in his career, Claude's public image was of a David Cassidy type, you know, the boy next door turned family man following the birth of his son Claude Jr. in 1968. Claude Jr. as well. A man who names his own son just his name is, uh, that's uh, an interesting type of man. Can I say that? <laughs> yeah, you, no, you can definitely say that because I find that weird. However, yeah. what I find weirder is that um, Will and Jada Pinkett Smith's kids that they named after them but changed slightly. So they have Willow and Jaden. Oh, yeah, that is weird, isn't it? Yeah, I hadn't Creepy. thought about that. Yeah, Creepy. they just flipped them. Yeah. That whole family is weird. <laughs> something, something for, up. for another podcast. I'll find a Eurovision yeah. link. And yeah, I'll just be talk a about them. For... Link, sure. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Don't this worry. episode's about Will Smith. <laughs> <laughs> we start getting really desperate. But there you go. You know, he's got a family now. He's starting to settle down. Maybe he's turned a corner in his life. Eh? You know, it's taken a while, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. this wasn't the truth for Claude, as he went on (laughs) to hide the existence of his second son, Mark, born in 1969, for five years because he thought that being a father of two would destroy his boyish image as a free man and seducer. So one son is fine, two sons not. Yeah. And he was a hidden son. Fucking hell, can you imagine that? Like, that is going to fuck you up for a long time. Five years. Uh, he also later turfed out Isabel and both sons um, from his country home to make room for his new Finnish girlfriend. No. Oh, he's terrible. He's the worst. He's a cool guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> Real cool. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Okay. 
While searching for new talent for his record label, Claude came across a singing family consisting of sisters Dominique and Catherine and their cousins Francine and Martine. He renamed the group Les Fléchettes, named after his own production label, Flesh. In 1971, his workload seemingly caught up with him when he collapsed on stage from exhaustion. Okay. However, there have since been reports that Claude used to fake James Brown-style on-stage collapses to grab headlines. <laughs> he's so bad. He's the worst man. I mean, we've had some pretty... And I don't know that he's necessarily the worst man. Maybe if he starts becoming racist, he might compete with some of the <laughs> terrible people we've had on this podcast but um, i don't i don't i haven't found any racism that's right. not to say that there isn't any if you no, dig in. No, 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 but yeah. i did find one uh french kind of tabloidy article that was um talking about how the so the the claudettes his his dance troupe that he had throughout the years obviously yeah. the lineup of who those dancers are would change um and this article was was applauding him for actually very early on um, well, it must have been in the in the sixties or seventies that he had one of the Claudettes was Asian, two of them were black, so he had quite a multicultural lineup of dancers. Um, I, I'm not, I'm absolutely not an apologist for Claude Francois. Like potentially he was a stinking racist as well, but who knows? We don't know. <laughs> we, we just, just don't, don't know. know. So we're just making stuff up now. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean we're staying neutral, but it could be either way. We don't know. Maybe he was a racist. Maybe he won't. <laughs> he who's wasn't. to know? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. There's no evidence for that. I don't know. I don't no. know. Following this quote unquote collapse on stage, hmm. he recuperated in the Canary Islands for a short time and re- returned to France only to break several bones in a serious car accident. Oh, and that one wasn't staged, we assume. No. (laughs) Okay, Uh, that's not great. This began a number of years of bad luck for Claude Francois. He had uh, several hits in the following years, but suffered further personal misfortune when the windmill at his country home caught fire and he was accidentally headbutted by a fan (laughs) at a concert in Marseille. (laughs) Wow, it sounds like his concerts were pretty uh, raging. The ladies loved him. Yeah, Ladies loved him. Oh yeah, he was a bit of a wild man. Someone's going in for a kiss, maybe, and got mm, too excited. Yeah, yeah. In the mid-70s, Claude Francois secured his first UK chart single with Tears on the Telephone. While in the UK on a promotional tour, he narrowly escaped death when an IRA bomb exploded in the lobby of the London hotel he was staying in. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's getting wow. serious. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So his yeah his stage collapses. He doesn't need to sort of fake those anymore. He's got all the drama all around him. Oh my god, so much drama because in the same year, whilst flying from Cannes to Monte Carlo, Claude's helicopter crashed, no. injuring those on board. But luckily, there were no deaths. Oh my god, he's uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess karma catches up with you. <laughs> I guess it does. <laughs> I mean, you know, sorry for all those other people involved, but... And it continues. Only Fuck. two years later, in 1977, Claude survived another near-death experience, an assassination attempt committed by unknown assailants who shot at his car while he was out driving one day. Directly targeting him. Jesus Christ. Directly targeting him. So his blue Mercedes was photographed afterwards with the resulting bullet holes in the car body and the rear windscreen. So you can see photos of it. Yeah. 
I mean, literally, it must have missed his head by centimetres. And we just think, we, I mean, that we don't know, like, the reasoning. He wasn't necessarily involved in any kind of gang anything. Not that I can find, no. There, okay. there's, there's a couple, there was some things that I saw online that called it an organized crime, crime group, yeah. but nothing else. There was, well, there was one that I saw that said that. I, I, everything else basically said um, unknown, unknown but assailant. Some might, people said might. it was a fan. It was a, it was yeah. a crazed fan, but I don't like think a, anyone was caught for it. No, like a John Lennon style fan assassination mm-hmm. thing. Wow. Potentially, but someone tried shooting at him, which is pretty crazy. Terrifying. Yeah. By 1978, more than 15 years after his first hit record, Claude Francois was still topping the musical charts with multi-million sales from hits such as Alexandrie Alexandra and performing to large audiences across Europe. In March of that year, Claude was taking a bath at his Paris apartment when he noticed that the overhead light bulb needed changing. (laughs) This is... Okay, this sounds like you're about to do one of those, like, do you, did you ever watch that 999 Lifesavers uh, TV show? <laughs> bum, bum, bum. It's like one of those. You're setting it up very well. Yeah, the opening the opening scenes of Casualty where, like, oh, yeah. a window washer's putting a ladder up against the wall and someone accidentally walks past and kiss, kicks it, but the window washer hasn't seen and then he climbs up it anyway. And, yeah, so you know exactly what's going to happen, don't you? So he stood up to fix the light bulb of course while still standing in the water uh, <laughs> you would probably wait until you're dressed and all good go on you would but he didn't Not, and he, didn't. he was fatally electrocuted no fatally yeah, yeah he died oh that's it that's the end of the end of the story <laughs> it's not the end of the story but it's the end of his life oh dang that's not clever it's not smart <laughs> That's so anticlimactic. Not on the story. That's, uh, but like someone who survived an RIA, IRA bomb, a helicopter crash, a car crash. uh, And this was all in like the previous, what, three years that this happened? Four years? He survived all of those near death experiences. No, he got, (laughs) um, yeah, he changed the light bulb in the bath and got electrocuted. Oh, yeah, that uh, light needs changing. Zap. Jesus. Sorry if that was a bit of a shock. Oh no, that's a terrible joke! T <laughs> <Hey. laughs> can't put that in. <laughs> I'm keeping that in. That was great. Oh no, that's <laughs> so mean. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That was very cruel. I didn't mean that. I You've got to look back and laugh. Way. You've got to look. I'm sure you, someone close to him, has made that joke in the past, and uh, people laughed. Oh, so you they know, must have done by now. they must have done. News of his death, aged only 39, was met by an outpouring of grief from French music fans. Former French president Valérie Giscard d'Estaing was quoted as saying Claude Francois was, to him, the French equivalent of the Beatles, meaning the great talent of a generation. Mm. Which he was to a certain extent, you know, he was very talented. Uh, I don't know if he's quite at the Beatles level, but he was um he was a very talented individual despite his um transgressions his over per- the years. Yeah, his personal side, yeah. Mm. Les Flechettes, you remember them? Yeah. The yeah, girl yeah, yeah. band that Claude discovered continued to perform as a group, renaming themselves 
cocktail chic by the time they represented France at the 1986 Eurovision Song Contest with the song Europeans. Europeans are. Oh. It's spelled a bit differently. It's, it's, uh. I think it means like Euro- European ladies. Oh, uh, okay, like Europeans. Uh, Europeans, uh, yeah. Uh, what was the band name? Cocktail Chic. Yeah, that's like the most 80s girl band name I think you could possibly have, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, Sir, Sir Terry Wogan described them uh, as the, the group as France's uh, answer to the Nolan sisters. And they are very, very much Nolan-y. that. Yeah. yeah. Which we will see now, Roland, as I'm going to send you a link so we can have a little little listen to your pions. Great. It's uh, an interesting group. I mean, they're dressed great. One of them uh, looks Oh, the outfits are amazing. The outfits are amazing. Leather gloves, big sort of baggy uh, jacket things. Uh, One of them looks like she's a decent amount older than the other. She looks like Angela Lansbury walked on stage. (laughs) Well, if you think this was... By now, this was... So this was the 86 contest. He discovered them... What, 15 years earlier? Wow, okay, yeah. So they've been going for a while. Yeah, yeah. And they've been around a little bit before then, but not not much. And they've been disbanded for a while and then got back together for the Eurovision Song Contest um, under the name Cocktail Chic. Cocktail Chic. Uh, sadly, the song came in a dismal 17th out of 20. France's worst result in 30 years of Eurovision to that date. Wow. And what may have been even more frustrating for French fans is that that year... There were three other French language songs in the contest, Belgium, Switzerland and Luxembourg, and they finished first, second and third. third. (laughs) Wow. So in French singing, it ruled apart from the French song. Yeah, didn't do so well. Terrible. Oh, shame. They seem like fun ladies. They do seem like fun ladies, right? Well, you can watch, actually, if you if you Google uh, Les Flechettes, you can find some of their songs from when they were around the first time as well. So there are videos of, of them performing online. Claude Francois, a.k.a. Clo Clo, sold some 70 million records during his career. On the 11th of March 2000, the 22nd anniversary of his death, Place Claude Francois in Paris was named in his memory. It is located right in front of the building where he died. Wow. A biographical film called Clo or My Way, in the when when marketed internationally, was released in March 2012 to coincide with also with the anniversary of his death. It runs two and a half hours Fucking long. Hell. Just cut to the cut to the exciting bits. Cut to the IRA. Cut to the uh, the car crash, the helicopter crash. You say that what? When I was again researching this, I read a review of it that was quite scathing, and it's <laughs> it pointed out that amongst this two and a half hours of content, they don't include the IRA bomb. No. <laughs> what are they doing then? To spend ages on his like nice outfits. Well, they the reason they were they, they were rightfully scathing because they basically said, you, "Look, you're talking about this guy for two and a half hours. You don't put in the most like exciting thing that happened to him. You do talk about a lot of the dross that he did, and don't also point out that he was quite a bad guy." Yeah, 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 yeah. That's rough. That is. 
Mm-hmm. And and like ending a, I get, I mean, you can't avoid the way that he died in a movie. I mean, unless they don't include his death, but oh no, they it, include, they definitely include the death. That was yeah. so. That's what part of the thing is that this whole mystery around him is the people. It's become a bit of a, um, an unknown about this mysterious man who wrote my way and then died in by being electrocuted in the bath and is all this real you know is he was all this stuff real and it was he did fundamentally contribute to my way yeah and yeah. he did die in the bath they're unsure if it's if he was changing the light bulb or fixing the light fixture or something along those lines really the detail of it but he yeah he got electrocuted in the bath bloody hell yeah. Claude-Francois is survived by his sons, Claude Jr. and Marc, who run his estate, and his daughter, Julie Bouquet. Now, we haven't discussed Julie in the story because Julie didn't know for certain that she was Claude's child until a DNA test in 2012 when she was in her mid-30s. Julie's mother was 15 when she fell pregnant with Julie and was forced to give her up for adoption. Fuck. Okay. So just one last nail in the literal coffin there. Julie Julie has claimed that um, uh, she's actually stood up for Claude Francois since she's become a semi-celeb in France since she, uh, this was all, uh, this all came out and says that apparently he thought that her mother was 18 but I mean who hasn't heard that line before coming sure, from a man absolutely. who's sleeping with underage women, yeah. underage I swear girls she looked, she looked like she was yeah, older yeah but she told me she was 16, she told me she was yeah. 18 she looked it so, well, I don't know how I feel about that one yeah. either yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, and just to bring things back full circle to the <laughs> exact day we are recording this on. Okay. Today, Sunday, March 22nd, an article was published by Belgian news site Le Libre with a video of Brussels police playing a parody version of the Claude Francois song Come Home whilst patrolling the streets. The lyrics have been changed to go home to encourage Brussels residents to abide by quarantine rules. Ah, that has brought it right up to the current place. I found that literally 20 minutes before we started doing this episode. Good for them. Isn't that wild? Yeah, good for them. That's amazing. Ah. Finn. Uh, That was beautiful. That was amazing. It had uh, bombs. It had assassination attempts. It had... uh, (laughs) Death by light bulb, all all those things. All the stuff Thanks. you want out of a Eurovision story. See, this is what happens when you just go through and click on every name. You get some really <laughs> <laughs> interesting stuff. How did you find him then? You clicked on the the uh, cocktail girls, cocktail chic, cocktail chic, and got and then found his yeah. name. Cocktail chic, real boring. Yeah. Um, and there was only one name on their webpage that you could click through to and right. it was his. Oh, wow. I mean, You'd... he's he's one of he was he was and still is one of the biggest names in French pop yeah. music. I've never heard of him. He was basically like it, you know, everyone knows who Johnny Halliday is. You know, I've heard of Johnny Halliday before. He was like the French Elvis. He was a megastar. Basically him and Claude Francois were rivals. Hated each other. Hated each other. Uh and I think Claude Francois was always very jealous of Johnny Halliday's success outside of France. Wow. That is amazing, yeah. You did the old the the double layer click. You clicked and then clicked again through to. A oh yeah, you got to do many page. clicks. So that's okay. that's where this ep- that's where this podcast is now going into. Yeah, we're going double many layer. clicks. We're going double layer down, Eurovision. Three layers down. We're gonna get there. Yeah, we're getting into the core <laughs> of Eurovision. The core mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. Eurovision era. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Uh, well, thank you so much, Isabel. That was a really good story. I really liked it. Who Thanks who so would much. have who would have known? So. <laughs> So, Isabel, let's move on to the last part of the episode where I attempt to create a Eurovision song uh, to do whether it's enter for the UK or enter for any other country. Basically, I just want to go to Eurovision and I see uh, have writing a song and <laughs> and getting someone to select it as my easiest way. I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, so, Isabel, this week I've been thinking about the ways in which a song can actually find success and, and like, find its audience. So, of course, there's the usual way of releasing a song into the charts and it gaining popularity. However, there are ways in which you can help a song along. Uh, you know, if they go viral or even kind of attached to uh, an event that everyone experiences, the most obvious of this is a is like a Christmas song. But I haven't I haven't done a Christmas song. Don't worry, I might at some point. But I love <laughs> a yet. Christmas song. I know I love a Christmas song. But you think like you know the people who wrote that in the eighties, Mariah Carey. Every year they get like so much money from. I don't those think songs. Mariah Carey wrote that in the eighties. Well, no, I didn't mean the I didn't mean Mariah Carey, <laughs> but like you know, um, all that wizard and all that stuff, you know. Oh yeah, that pays for their retirement, basically. Oh yeah, absolutely, and their children's retirement. So when I was doing research for this song, I remembered for a while, a few years back, there was that real trend <laughs> of doing viral flash flash mob wedding proposals to the Bruno Mars song "Marry You." So, oh God, yeah. so, so that song itself is like pretty terrible, like really cheesy. So what I thought I would do is make a more realistic song on a similar theme. So for anyone who's looking to like propose with a song, but is not quite as extroverted enough to do a flash mob. So the song that I am bringing to you today, Isabel, is a song called everyone's getting married do you think we should marry are you ready <laughs> um yes when we first met it was perfect all those sparks you must be a magician now it's later and we've never been greater but it feels like there's been a transition all of our friends good to the Kind of people you'd never disparage But it seems strange Like something's changed Everything's become focused on marriage Sometimes I wanna jump in But it seems pretty fast There's nothing holding us back But it is soon Have you been looking at rings? Should we wait till it feels right? Cause right now it feels like All our friends just got married do you think we should marry? Think we should marry? If everyone's getting married Do you think we should marry? Think we should marry? Every weekend feels like we spend Driving down to another friend's wedding Shouldn't we save for our own day All this money that we have been spending it's a really big thing Don't even know what size ring Is kneeling even a thing? Does that feel strange? Is it a social construct? Should I ask when the time's right? It's 
starting to feel like Oh, our friendships got married Do you think we should marry? Think we should marry? If everyone's getting married Do you think we should marry? Think we should marry? Is it circumstance or is this fate? Should we take the leap or should we wait? I've got this feeling that I just can't shake the legal benefits do seem pretty great So let's very carefully start to open up the door Can we agree to maybe talk about it more? Now I'm not saying that we do it right away But it's not crazy to get married one day Cause all our friends just got married Do you think we should marry? Think we should marry? If everyone's getting married Do you think we should marry? Think we should marry? All our friends just got married Do you think we should marry? Think we should marry? If everyone's getting married Do you think we should marry? Think we should marry? So that was Everyone's Getting Married, Do You Think We Should Marry? A song about social pressure. (laughs) (laughs) As well as we go into our early to mid-30s, I'm sure you uh, have experienced the weird trend of suddenly everyone's getting married. And that was a song about that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm actually quite lucky in the fact that 90% 90% of my friends are gay. Yeah. And so that pressure is not so much there. Maybe they will yeah. at some point. But it's not the same thing of get engaged, get married, have a kid, buy a house kind of thing, um, which is quite helpful. Um, but I get asked about it quite a bit. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. I was inspired uh, about this song or to write this song at mine and Caroline's third wedding that we were attending last summer. Uh. And as we were in the um, very nice reception, um, I uh, this song came to me. And so it's sort of been banging around my head for a while. See, this is this is why everyone should just have less straight friends. it makes your life a lot easier a lot cheaper in a lot of ways because i witness i see you i see you know our good friend hannah i see you know lots of friends around me who are having to spend that literal thousands of pounds over the space of a few years to go to weddings to go to hendus to go to stag do's to have engagement parties to buy presents to give them some money for their honeymoon that they're going to go on that probably they can afford themselves because they're both middle class and have well-paid jobs but they're asking for money anyway because that seems to be what you do because <laughs> that's what you do do you know how many times i've had to do that roland how many Zero. Zero. No times. No times whatsoever. I've been to my cousin's wedding. Uh, My mum and dad paid for the gift. I've been to my um, some friends of mine from Halifax. I've been to a couple of weddings in Halifax. That was ten years ago. 
Um, so that wasn't, it's not like they were expecting much at me then. And they were both cute weddings. It was only teeny and that was very sweet. So Isabel, you might not, this might not be a song that you necessarily relate to as much. But if you think about how other people oh, who yeah. maybe are in more heteronormative social circles than, mm-hmm. than, than yourself um, might perceive this song. I loved it Uh. despite the fact that i don't care for marriage i don't think i'm interested in getting married at any point it's not of interest to me sure um and i'm very supportive of other people doing so as long as it doesn't cost me a lot of money thank you Mm -hmm. um i'm hoping that it's probably just you and hannah that i have to deal with at some point in time and that's kind of it and that's that's what it'll be i'm dealing with it i'm dealing with it (laughs) no i'll be very happy i love your partners it's going to be a wonderful day i expect to be part of the wedding party oh no absolutely yeah despite marriage not being my thing i still loved it i do think that with the audience like yes you know eurovision is a very wide audience there will be a lot there are a lot of straight uh, people watching it who will love the the idea of it in the in the bruno mars style exactly sure yeah um, I think, however, the lyrics could be tweaked a bit more to be more knowing, more of that social contract stuff that will that will p- pander more to um, uh, the the segment of the audience that are less interested in in feeling pressured to get married as well. But that tune is one of the funnest Ooh, that you've yeah. created. I think it's not bad, is it? There's some good loops couldn't, that I use. Couldn't that one. not dance to that when it was on. So, Isabel, uh, what score would you give everyone's getting married, open brackets, do you think we should marry, close brackets? Love the melody, love the tune. Mm. Um, Absolute bop. Bring into it how well I think it would fare at Eurovision, though, with the current lyrics. Although fun... I am going to give... What's the song called? Everyone's Getting Married, Should We Marry? Do you think we should marry? Do you think we should marry? Yeah. I'm going to give it... Set. Wow, seven points. Seven points. Less than last week. Yeah. Interesting. Wow, okay, okay. I was expecting higher than that, but... I'll All right. It. I'll accept Rude. it. <laughs> no, maybe it's just because it's, it's been something that's been sitting in my head for such a long time. So, uh, but uh, look, I'm never going to question, I'm never going to question the points that you give. Well, if, if you agree or disagree or uh, disagree with uh, my perception of marriage, feel free to email <laughs> in and let us know. You can reach us at euphoriapodcast at gmail.com or... You can tweet us at UEphoriaCast. So, as mentioned last week, we are going to be back on a weekly basis for the foreseeable to keep you company um, whilst you are self-isolating, social distancing, quarantined at home. Remain safe out there, everyone, regardless of where you are in the world. Be safe, be kind, be good to the people around you. Keep your distance to ensure the safety of others and yourselves. So we are back every single week. If you want to get in touch with us, you have the details in which to do so. Uh, Have a great week otherwise, and we'll speak to you in seven days. Bye. Bye. Bye.